This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for March 9th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to this show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing page and you can click the red box that says sponsor this show. You can do a one-time recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but I would like to thank all of our previous sponsors. It's time for Dragon Gates 2021. It finally feels like it was... It, it took forever, Case, but we're here. I'm Mike. I'm with Case. Welcome back to my voice, Case. Good. I nailed the intro, but then I didn't get the segue right whatsoever. But I'm, I'm leaving it in here. We're not editing this out, but So, Case Lowe, how are you doing today? Uh, Mike, I'm good. You, you came in hot on this episode. The intro was like, damn, there's an energy to Mike's voice that, like... Because I'm sure just between everything that's gone on over the past week in in specifically your wrestling bubble of stuff you have to talk about, I'm sure you're almost audioed out at this point. Mike came in just hot and ready to go with that intro and then didn't stick the landing as we went into that transition. But Mike, that's okay because I picked the ball up and we're back Thank down. You. you know, whatever basketball metaphor you want to make there, we're back on the fast break and we're on the fast track to dead or alive yes we are so as we've kind of talked about before january and february i kind of liken it to a preseason now case because they do some stuff there's some title defenses but they're kind of sparse and the cards are usually just genuinely kind of there unless we get a kz title defense but champion gate that's the true start of the year and we already have the main event for dead or alive 5-5 nagoya aichi 20 dead or alive 2021 looks like it's already shaping up to be an incredible show with what they've their twist they did this year case for this uh, for the uh, cage risk match i have to say like this was they're going back to their tried and true and i really appreciate it well okay there's so much stuff on this episode because we have the cork and hall review from that was march 4th we have the two champion gate shows we're going to talk about and then we have the Dead or Alive main event on 5-5. We have the April Cork and Hall main event with the return of Naruki Doi. And then we have the Memorial Gate and Wakayama main event 
on March 27th, which I predicted on this show. Not that I need to take, take a your huge, lap. I don't take need to. I lap. don't need to take a huge victory lap. All I've no, been no, saying. No, no, no. Yeah, you did it. You, you did a runner runner straight uh, straight flush here you take your victory a lot because i don't think anyone in the world was thinking that this guy was going to challenge but you pointed this out a couple weeks ago and then finally you said it's happening and guess what i don't think i did i assisted saying it's going to happen to wakiyama but case this is all you past three weeks or so and our and our dedicated listeners know this all right because they pay attention number one source of Gate news in the english-speaking world said hey Look out for Cosmo Sakamoto. Guy's been hot lately. Shun's going to need a defense for Wakiyama. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. I said it in my Quark and Hall review. I said, hey, even though Sakamoto's in a meaningless match here, keep your eye on him coming into this weekend. What happens after the main event of the second Champion Gate show when Osaka, where Shun Skywalker successfully defended the Open the Dreamgate Championship against Kaito Ishida? Who challenges him? It's Cosmo Sakamoto. Put one in the case was right folder. It's a small fo- folder. F- small folder, rather. You see, this is what happens. I spun out of control in my victory lap. I got too excited. But anyways, yeah, we have... Just, it's it, Everything uh, was building up to this, and now we have main events for three shows, three big shows, within the next three months. And it feels good, because there was no KZ Dreamgate Challenge in February of this year. There was no rookie ranking tournament like there was two years ago. This was a pretty dry first two months, with the exception of that Twingate match that I really liked in January. And now, it's like the promotion feels properly calibrated again. Everything is back to making a little bit more sense than it was in January and February. Yeah, yeah. And I I think it's worth noting that they did find their way to make... January and February, somewhat life or somewhat with life, but it's just something that, and, and I would love to talk to like a native fan and be like, so what's what's your opinion about how nothing really happens in January and February, but then we have uh, uh, we have Champion Gate and then Wakiyama and then things get going because it's no, I I can't think of a promotion that has as like distinctive a schedule. So just laying out their calendar year, January and February usually pretty slow. March, or the end of February, beginning of March, Champion Gate. End of March, Wakiyama. It got moved last year because of COVID. And then it's a month build up to Dead or Alive. Then it is King of Gate leading up to through June. Maybe a title defense in June, maybe not. Then Kobe World in July. Then it's uh, Dangerous Gate in August or September. Gate of Origin, Gate of Destiny, and Final Gate. What, what I call the hot season. And it, it, it's something that you don't see a lot of other companies, especially in Japan, treat their calendar in this way. No, it's something entirely unique to them. And depending on where Dangerous Gate falls, if it's an August show, then typically September's a little bit slower. If it's a September show, typically August is a little bit slower. You get into that that recalibration period after Kobe World. But yeah, it's an intense schedule. And I have been saying since the start of this year when it seemed like the injury bug really bit Dragon Gate, I don't buy into it being the schedule or it being a dangerous style of work. If you've listened to this show once in the last five years, you know that Mike and I are, are, are big proponents of actually the house style is not incredibly dangerous, and anybody that says that is not paying attention to the promotion. I think it just the, the injuries just happened Uh, out of circumstance they were unfortunate I think they're all kind of weird injuries that happened and with the exception of Ben K which you know was a freak accident 
Uh, but the schedule, you almost need those two months built in at the start of the year just to to give people a breather. I mean, with the exception of KZ and, and 18, 19, and 20, you know, people kind of relax and they need it. And it's only those big matches where they go out and they kill themselves because once March hits, I, I, I mean, again, we have the next three months to look forward to now of big time, important feeling matches. And that's that's a great feeling to have right now. Yeah, and it really started at Corkin. Corkin will be up on the network, I think, for another two days. This will, this will hit your feeds on the 10th. It was on the 4th, so you, you have about 24 hours after we record this. Attendance, 6.09, so a good, nice bounce back after February. And, you, you know, I, I feel like we're both on the same page here in saying this. This is what I mean, we've seen this year outside of the Twin Gate match and of how the state emergency operates, that they have to be in and out from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Japanese Standard Time. So there's decent stuff on each of these shows, but really the the big story coming out of this was the formation and the proper name of Yamake Gun. It's now high-end, and everything else on the show is kind of just reflective of that. High-end is a tremendous, tremendous debut in branding, I guess, I'm not going to say branding opportunity, a branding experience, if I dare say so myself, from Dragon Gate, the Yamato, Benkei, Kaisuke Akuda, Dragon Kid unit, with the colors being white, gold, and red, I think it's tremendous. I mean, they the, the look they have down. Now, Mike, I don't know about you, I was talking to some people about this in the Voice of Wrestling Slack, I don't like Yamato's gear, how do you feel about that? It has a lot of red for him, and that takes me back to his kamikaze days, which, you know, as we are wrapping up, as you, as when you all listen to this, next next Monday is the final uh, Dragon Gate USA episode of Rewind and Rewatch, or the final show of Dragon Gate and USA, and identify so much of the height of Dragon Gate USA with Yamato coming out with his red, with his red trunks, with the flags that come off like two minutes into the match and he finally got rid of them so i'm kind of okay with that i the one thing that you should be very happy is if he has red as his big keynote color you, you know that they knew the heel unit that will be coming sometime is going to move away from using red as a as a keynote color probably yeah if we ever get a rebranding of the heel unit which for as much as i enjoy the current landscape of red i would very much welcome uh, heels wearing anything other than red, black, and yellow. I think that would be a tremendous step forward for the promotion. With that in mind, Yamato's gear, I think, does have too much red in it. It's it's off-putting when I think Dragon Kid has nailed the look. I think Akuda looks great. Uh, ben ben K, K needs new gear. Needs new gear. Needs just something. He needs to just start from scratch. I I. Feel bad because I, I I think there is some speculation that maybe he had some sort of plastic surgery. Now whether it was cosmetic or or a facial reconstruction deal after the injury, I do not know. And I also it, that's not confirmed. That's speculation that he maybe had some work done, but allegedly uh, allegedly had some work done. He he just looks weird right now. It's like he's moving around the ring fine. It's it's the opposite of what a lot of wrestlers have issues with where like his in ring is completely captivating still and I still really enjoy watching him wrestle he does look dead behind the eyes though he does look like Ben K is now being controlled by a robot and it's a little uncomfortable to watch 
Yeah, and it's something that he's still wearing the same gear he wore when he was Dreamgate champion, which was like, oh, okay. Which is a a shame because I both liked the long pants look and the brief time period that in R.E.D. where he wore tights was a great look for him as well. Like like these shorts have never been my favorite Ben K look to begin with. Yeah, did he, when he was in R.E.D., which man, that feels like it was so long ago, was he wearing like the ghee pants for a while? Some. Yeah, uh, he he started off wearing shorts, and then he went back to uh, his classic gi pants he wore in Max moment beforehand. Yeah, I, I mean, we make fun of Shun Skywalker a lot for the uh, excessive amounts of gear he has, but Ben K is is right there in line with him for a five year career. He's gone through a lot of different looks. Yeah, yeah, and this might be my least favorite look <laughs> of his so far. So. This cork, and I'm just going to run down the results, and then we could talk about... We've already talked a little bit more about high-end, but we could talk about the big events there, if that works for you, guys. Yeah, please. All right, so attendance was 609. That's up from 598. You know, they're doing all right with that, but state of emergency and everything. And and for new fans, Tokyo is just a once-a-month stop for Dragon Gate. It's not like how, especially DDT and Cyber Agent run Tokyo relentlessly, or how New Japan treats cork in like a house show. They stop by once a month, just like how they stop by Kyoto or Kobe. It's just how they operate there. So 609, it opened up with Natural Vibes versus an unaffiliated team. The full complement of Natural Vibes, KZ, Susumi Okoska, Ginky Horiguchi, and UT versus Don Fuji, Shuji Kondo, Gamma, and Yosuke San Maria. KZ got the win on Maria with the CDJ in 10 minutes, 55 seconds. Match two was the Double Dragons, Ultimo, and Bukutomo versus R.E.D., Diamante, and Kazuma Sakamoto. Uh, Diamante got the pen on Bukutomo with the Vuelta Finale. Match three, one fall to a finish, four-way tag team match. We have the buddy cop tag team of Masaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida versus the slimy team of Yasushi Kanda and Kenichi Orai versus Bensuke of... Keisuke Akuda and Benke versus R.E.D. B.B. Hulk and Hio. The win was uh, Kenichiro Arai stealing the the pin on Takashi Yoshida after B.B. Hulk does the first flash with the jackknife cradle. Match four is the full complement of Masquerade. This was your Masquerade versus R.E.D. match of the night. So that's Shun, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and Kaga. Actually, I'm doing it again, Case. We talked about this last week about how a surprise it wasn't La Australia. So it's it's Masquerade plus Kagatora. Yes. La Australia was not on this card. So Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and Kagatora versus the R.E.D. team of Kaido Ishida, Hip Hop Kakuda, and uh, Eita and Diet Inferno. It was Shun with the SSW on Inferno in 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Double main event. Both are special singles tag match. Dragon Kid versus SB Kento. SB Kento got the win on an inside cradle after a mass grip. And then Yamato beats uh, Kai with a schoolboy after an accidental chair shot by SB Kento. So, really, from the undercard, the only big news that came out of that is that with Diamante penning Bukudomo, he has made him Mascara contra Mascara challenge. And then, really, it's about the two matches in the semi main event, the main event, as we. Coming out of this, uh, GM Yagi has announced the main event for Dead or Alive 2021 in Nagoya, Aichi Prefecture. It is a Perhaus Increíble and then Vueltos or Revlos Suicidas. So one team will be Dragon Kid and SB Kento versus Yamato and Kai. And the first, there'll be three flags on the cage, so they'll still be doing flags for the first stage. 
So perhaps in Korea, like for people who don't watch Lucha, is basically you have rivals tag teaming. So Dragon Kid and SB Kento have been together since before uh, Final Gate. And then, of course, Yamato and Kai, you, you can't keep them apart. So in the cage, there's three flags. The first team that scores two flagpoles is wins that part of the match, and they're done. Then we have the Revelo Suicidas, which is when the losers of that match have a immediate match right afterwards, and that is an Apuestas match, so it seems. Yeah. So a few things to take away here. One, as for the cork, and the, the undercard is uh, best to be discussed in relation to Champion Gate, which we'll get to in just a second, with the exception of the Diamante Bucaltimo Shimizu interactions. And, uh, you know, Mike, I don't, I don't know how you feel about it. I, I think the idea of doing a mask versus mask match there is fun. Assuming I, I, I don't know if I want a comedy match from that or if I want a serious match, I can't get a good vibe, but I'm certainly okay with the idea on paper. Uh, where, where do you stand with this? You know, that, that, that screams Wakiyama semi main event for me. And, uh, with what happened after the main event with Naruki Doi's return, you know, and him saying, I'm done with Team Boku. As soon as he said that, we're like, oh yeah, no, this isn't just like making a mass challenge from Diamante and nothing's going to happen to it, just like the Ultimo one. No, this is going to happen. And I can see that the end of Team Boku might be coming at the end of this month. I'm glad you mentioned the Doi thing because I it, so much happened this week not only in Drangate, but just in wrestling that somehow Naruki Doi making his return and coming out to a reaction that was the loudest crowd interactions we've heard in quite literally a year at this point. I don't remember a crowd, and I, you know, uh, watch with my eyes peeled, kind of looking through my fingers at New Japan. I am sickeningly invested in some DDT stuff right now. I don't miss Noah's big shows. I haven't heard screams like that since February or maybe very early March of 2020. And Mike, have you heard a bigger reaction than Doi got on his return? Other than like random crowd calls for like Ata during the Dreamgate match or Sora Fujikawa when he got his butt kicked by Suji Kondo, no, no nothing this concentrated. And uh, this is time for my victory lap. Case, how long have I said expect him back by Champion Gate? Uh, very, since he got hurt for the first two months of the year, you were saying that. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, his surgery was a quick rehab time. I did, I did my research there. So he's back, and he will be returning at the Corkin. But yeah, no, the reaction was insane for him because Yoshino was coming out kind of just... I don't even know because I... Uh, what was Yoshino out there doing? I was watching the Japanese feed, not the English feed this week. I think he was just saying hi to Tokyo. I mean, it was his first appearance... <laughs> In Tokyo, in Tokyo all year, year. yeah, because he wasn't there in January, he wasn't there in February. So I, I, I don't know, and and things happen so quick with him that Red beatdown happened pretty soon after he began that promo. So if Jay explained it on commentary, I don't remember it, but I don't even know if he had a chance to explain why exactly Yoshino was there, other than just to say that he's been in Tokyo this year. Yeah, so Red beat them down, and then immediately Naruki Doi goes out to save his. Uh, his career long partner and says he's back and I don't have the Corkin match for April in front of me. Do, do you I, have it I, with you? I do indeed, Mike. It is going to be Naruki Doi teaming with Yamato and Dragon Kid, and they are going to be wrestling Kai, Hip Hop Kakuta, and S B Kento. So 
a lot of things to take out of that. For one, we had the fact that RED is starting to kind of fall apart there. Like, SP Kento lost a match for Kai, and we could we saw what happened with Takashi Yoshida with that, that, that soon led to his expulsion. And that's why, uh, other than me looking at the clock and saying, gee, RED has lasted a long time, the there's been smoke that fire and then of course Naruki Doi coming back and then just firing off a tweet saying I'm no longer in Team Boku I don't think he goes to high end because that just completely kills every other unit if you have Naruki Doi Yamato and Dragon Kid there but boy I mean those are your stars right there going against the heel side yeah that's a big match and I think that is one that is going to have as much investment from the crowd as you can possibly get in the clap crowd COVID environment. I, I, that, that feels like a hot match to me. And unfortunately we don't have a ton to base that off of, but we do have Doi's return, which felt huge. I mean, again, like I said, I have not heard a reaction like that. Not when Muto won the title and Noah, not when Akiyama won the belt and DDT. I don't even feel like wrestle kingdom. Now, granted, giant ass building compared to Cork and Hall, but I don't feel like there was one centralized spot that got the entire crowd to react the way that Doi Runnin did. So it, it feels like a hot match going into it. And then you have the Dead or Alive stuff, which if you want an example of what that match looks like minus the cage, because it's the first time they've run it with the cage, but Kobe World 2000, which is on the Dragon Gate Network for subscribers, had a great Sasuke and Tiger Mask 4 versus Shima and Sumo Fuji style match, and then from there it goes into the singles match afterwards. Uh, for me, and and we will say this probably every week until May 5th, I don't think there's a possibility that the finish is anything but SB Kento getting his head shaved. I don't see how that is not the finish in that match. That is 100% what I'm going with until I have new information that tells me otherwise. No, absolutely. I mean, as soon as with how the, the Spans match happened, I was like, oh, so SB Kento is losing his hair in May. I think I maybe sent you a DM saying, oh, yeah, I think he's losing his hair. So uh, it, it, it Kai maybe, but Kai doesn't have a contract. Kai Kai is the king of freedom. He's not going to do it. And Dragon Kid's never losing that mask. And Yamato, I just don't see it happening. Yamato's already done it, lost in the places. I don't see it happening again with him. No, I I mean, I could be wrong, but to me, the SPK Dragon Kid stuff, because of the unit disbands match, feels feels hotter than Yamato versus Kai, quite honestly. And I, I mentioned this in my review. There's two points I want to bounce off of here. One being... The Yamato Kai stuff, I get it. I know they're going to wrestle in April at Cork and Hall. I know they're going to wrestle in May. After that cage match, I need them to not touch each other for six months. I just need them to be away from each other. That feud, for me, it's been entertaining. I've liked it. I need to not see them near each other for six months now. So you've just cursed yourself. They're certainly going to be in the same block of King Gate. That was it. Goddamn. Like, it's funny you said that because my thought was... I, I have a feeling that they're going to go through the cage match and then I, that May cork and is, is probably May 9th. It typically falls around that time every year. I've got the schedule pulled up. It is May 7th this year. You know they're doing Yamato versus Kai in the main event of Cork and Hall. And <laughs> like Yamato's going to win with the Frankensteiner. That's just, that's how it's going to be, which is unfortunate because I think that cage match should be the blow off for them on the simple notion that I'm kind of sick of seeing them interact because it's not only the six or seven months of feuding now, it's the year and a half of tag teaming before that. So I just, I need a break 
on Yamato and Kai because I didn't, Mike, I don't know. Cause we haven't really talked about this cork and uh, with one another that much. What did you think of the main event? I thought it was fine. I thought they leaned into it and I thought that was pretty strong. And it's something where it kind of just felt like a prolonged angle to me. And as soon as I felt it like that, I was like, okay, I, I get what you're doing here. And then of course, then you have the idea that the prolonged angle was red is having more dissension. So I went three and a half. Like I enjoyed it for what it was, but it wasn't. I I I, I don't expect to get big work rate matches out of these two when they're together. No, that it, that echoes my thoughts. I was at three and a quarter on it because it it what what they did I think was correct. I just wasn't crazy invested in it. Whereas Dragon Kid versus SB Kento, you know, borderline great match in my opinion, and I thought was worked in a very deliberate style, uh, whereas Yamato and Kai, from the jump, uh, it was a brawling style of match. They were throwing each other into things. There was a ton of interference. Dragon Kid and SP Kento had a, a slower match. I mean, it really took a while to get going, and it felt like the groundwork for something that we'll talk about again later on in this show of the classic Dreamgate structure and, you know, Mike, we've seen this Phoenix rise in SBK for the past year now. I, you know, I liked him from his debut December 22nd, 2019. I knew he was going to be something special. I don't think any of us saw his rookie year going the way it did, which kind of, to me, in my mind, he's now uh, entered this place of unlimited possibilities. And I want to ask you, in the year 2021, with Shun Skywalker currently as the Open the Dreamgate champion, we suspect that belt will go on to Yamato at some point within the year. Does SB Kento challenge for the Open the Dreamgate title this calendar year? You know, I think so. If he wasn't in the cage match, he's in a Goya kid. I could have seen it happen at Dead or Alive if he wasn't already enmeshed in something intertwined with dragon kid i think that it, it's something like where i'll go a step further i can't discount the idea that he's going to be in one of the two main events at kobe world this year that's a really bold claim i i, I can't discount it like it, it it's something where he has been on such a trajectory that is just like groundbreaking in the company's history like Shingo Takagi was the original super rookie, and he got a Triangle Gate run really quickly, but that was kind of it. Uh, Yamato won the Dream Gate in his first, in his first challenge, but that was like three years in his career. Uh, super, uh, or sorry, Strong Machine J won the, uh, was the quickest ever to a title win. But I'm looking at what's happening with SP Kento, with Kento Kabune, and he is, he is forging his own path, and I can't discount the possibilities at this point so shingo made his first dreamgate challenge in september of 2005 that is 11 months after his debut he debuted in october of 2004 so he would beat sbk to the punch for his first challenge right yamato is one of the few people that have won the open the dreamgate title in their very first challenge it's uh, yamato jushin thunder liger magnitude kishiwada eita and Masaki Mochizuki, who most of those were just establishing wins when the title was still building its lineage. Yeah. Yamato and Eita are the two where I think it really mattered that they did that. 
Uh, but Yamato, that was in 2010. That was three and a half years after his debut. So, I, I mean, I would be stunned. Let's say he's a, you know, SBK is a year into his career now. He's got two and a half years left to beat Yamato to that first Dreamgate challenge. I would say that is a very safe bet, and I, I think that's happening. And since he debuted, I've constantly compared him to Yamato, so he would already have a leg up on him in terms of his career from a Dreamgate perspective. Yeah, and the fact that he's likely going to be in Os Puestas against Dragon Kid in the beginning of May, that if you needed another stamp of approval on this kid, that's a huge one. You're not taking that mask, but the idea that Dragon Kid, who in a lot of ways, even more so than Ultimate Dragon, embodies the Dragon system and being put in that scenario, it's remarkable, and he's only 21. We haven't mentioned that. He's only 21. You know, like, and I, I'm in complete agreement with you that Dragon Kid is not losing the mask. I am stunned, though, at just how willing and giving Dragon Kid has been with these SBK mask ripping spots. Because not, I mean, Final Gate was, Dragon Kid's bare face was there, but the way the camera shot this match at Cork and Hall, there was a good second and a half where it's just Dragon Kid's exposed face. And. I have never seen anything like that specifically with Dragon Kid. It didn't really happen in the Sua feud. I don't remember it being this flagrant in the Darkness Dragon feud. The Masato Yoshino feud was more built on speed and not hatred. This is as giving as Dragon Kid has been in his entire career, and it's happening to a 21-year-old. It, it's really remarkable. And the thing about the Darkness Dragon thing was, yeah, his, his, his mask was practically torn off, but he also was bleeding profusely. <laughs> yes, which helps. <laughs> which, I mean, we, we weren't seeing anything there. But it, it's it's something where, and with Dragon Kid, he's someone that, like, I don't expect him to be taking a page back, a step back. But this is something that he's like, oh, I could use my cachet to get this kid to the next level. And I think that's what's happening here. I think it's working, too. And it's it's one of those deals where... I really feel in my bones, and again, it's probably not fair to assume stuff like this because we don't really know, but just, you know, I just know, I think we all know wrestling to such a degree that if crowds could react, I really do think SBK would just be getting absurd amounts of heat, and I think he would bask in that, and I think he would thrive in that environment because as we've talked about on the show many times, he debuted in December of 2019 at the very end of December, he has January and February where he's he has gear, but by all intents and purposes, he's still doing black tights, young boy matches. And then the rest of his career has been in this COVID era. And think about how well he's done for himself in that environment. It's it's absurd. And Hip Hop Kakuta, he debuted in an empty arena. And other than that, has only worked in this environment. It's it's remarkable, and it's something that we've said before, but I think it's something it bears repeating, as both SBK and Hip Hop Kakuta had great weekends this past week. Yeah, so let's get into the weekends. It was the doubleheader at Osaka Edeon Arena 2, Champion Gate 2021 in Osaka. The first night was on the 6th. It will be up on the network in Japanese until the 13th. I do not believe the English edit is up yet. It but, is not as of the time we're recording this, but it could very easily be up by Wednesday the 10th. We will see. Yeah. So attendance was 351 for night one. That's up from 331. They did not visit uh, Osaka in February. They had one of their first few shows of the year 
there start in 2021 in January. So the opener was a six-man tag team match. It was Masquerade versus R.E.D., Shun Skywalker, Jason Lee and La Estrella versus Kaido Ishida, Eita, and Kasa Sakamoto. So kind of a preview of the next night's main event, and it was Kaido Ishida getting the submission win with the ankle hold on Jason Lee. Yeah, do you want? Do we want to go match by match here? Because I I, I can if you want to. Well, uh, you, you know, just for the sake of time, uh, let's uh, uh, a lot of the stuff on this first show just kind of was there. It wasn't bad, but it was kind of there. Let me read through the results of everything up into the title matches. So we'll we'll yeah, go yeah, over let's, the. Let's go big picture because I know last week we talked about how typically these champion gate cards are are really cool and they do a lot of fun stuff, and that was not the case this year. So. Yeah, you know, I, we can talk. We can talk about some stuff, but it really, it's the title matches to me that jumped out this weekend. Yeah, and both of us have reviews. I took night one. Case took night two up on Voices of Wrestling, so we went more in depth thought into the undercards. So that was match one. Match two, unaffiliated tag team match: Ultimo Dragon and Gamma versus Shuji Kondo and Punch Nomonaga. Punch Nomonaga won with an inside cradle on Gamma in eight minutes and 31, 37 seconds. Match three. Single fall, three-way tag team match. The buddy cop tag team of Misaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida versus the mixed team of Ukutomo Dragon and Kurama Nora and another mixed team of Don Fuji and UT. The fall was Yoshida on UT with a cyberbomb in just over 10 minutes. And then match four was the was the six-man tag team match of high-end of Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Binke versus R.E.D., B.B. Hulk, Kai, and S.B. Kento. Yamato got a flash win with the Frankensteiner of the Almighty. Match five, the semi-main event was for the open. Oh, yeah. Then match five was the semi-main event. It opened the Brave Gate Championship match. Keisuke Akuda made his third defense of the open the Brave Gate title, defeat submitting Hyo with the rare naked choke and the Dojima sleeper hold. And the main event was for the Open the Triangle Gate Championship. Natural vibes of KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Ginky Horiguchi defended against. R.E.D. team of Hip Hop Kakuda, Diamante, and Daya Inferno. Uh, Natural Vibes makes their first defense of this reign with with KZ pinning Daya after the impact. So really on the show, not a whole lot to get into other than the two title matches. And Case, I know we've talked about this a little bit. For what it was, I really enjoyed this Brave Gate match. I know you differed a little bit on this, especially when we get to the finish. Well, I really liked the Brave Gate match, and we came away with the same rating on it. I was fully prepared to go spreadsheet on this, four stars or higher, until the finish, though, because I was completely buying into the story that I, I think has been really well established with Hyo since August or September of last year, where, you know, he's not the toughest guy by any means. He's not the best wrestler by any means. He actually kind of sucks, but he does have this evil genius mentality to him where, look, I would not want to get on on Hyo's bad side because he can only do so much, but he has friends that can do a lot more. And that was kind of the story of this match was, you know, his talents got him into this match. They took him to a certain point, but at some point he needed the help of R.E.D. And they certainly aided him in that request. There was tons of interference. It was very much a Dragon Gate style of match where if you're invested in the story and you like the house style, I think you will enjoy this match. This is probably one that if you're not a diehard fan that you that you need to watch. But whereas, you know, I 
just just to draw the comparison, just so I I'm in the clear because of of companies I've been critical of. You know, one, the Open the Brave Gate is not the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, and two, I thought this match uh, told a good story that just happened to have ref bumps and run-ins and was messy. Whereas I find uh, perhaps there are some other promotions that don't do a very good job of that in the, in the current landscape, <laughs> uh, to say the least. But I really liked a lot of this. I, th- I mean, the, the senton that he hit on that chair mountain was gross as gnarly of a senton as I've seen. I mean, it was Akira Tozawa esque, which we do not say lightly on this show. Yeah, it, it's something where Hio has always had a good senton, but doing it on the chairs makes it even more brutal. And it's just something where Hio and his position and his contemporaries, for people who don't know, are Shun Skywalker and Bing K and Yuki Yoshioka, who's off in the Shadow Realm somewhere. And it's something where like he is fiercely lagging behind the rest of his class. He doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have the size. But what he does have is the, the the ability and the willingness to cheat as much as possible. And that Sentana, it was like a dozen chairs. It was more chairs than I've seen them usually do. Like the only other time I've seen them use this many chairs in a ridiculous fashion was when Ada was obsessed with Spike Toon Soming, uh, Masato Yoshino. Yeah, and I'd like to forget that that ever happened. That was really, that's that's one of those things that you look at uh, the the COVID booking through really the first four months of the year. It's like, oh, Ada Masato Yoshino, that's going to be a thing. And then once uh, Krad's return in July, it was like, actually, we're going to go in a different direction. And I thank Drangate for that every single day. So as for this Brave Gate match, I was really enjoying it. I was really invested in this story. I thought they were working it in, in really almost a perfect way. It was exactly what I thought we were going to get out of this match. And it's it was executed well. My only issue is that I thought both of the referee distraction spots, even for Dragon Gate, were a little bit lazy. Now, the first one I was able to look past because I, I forget which R.E.D. guy stood on the apron, uh, but somebody distracted referee Yagi and then somebody else slid a chair into Hyo. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't. I didn't think that looked too sharp. You know, Dragon Gate's something where if you're a half second off in your timing, it, suddenly the whole house crumbles. Their house style is like a Jenga game. I was quickly shut up and and proved wrong when they did an Eddie Guerrero chair spot, and and it was just beautiful. It was perfectly executed. I said, okay, I'm back in on this match. And then they go to the finish, where once again, Yagi is distracted simply by someone standing up on the apron. And the issue is that if you Zapruder this film... Yagi pretty much makes direct eye contact with Hip Hop Kakuta, who's throwing the powder. Was it Kakuta or was it SBK? I think it was Kakuta. It, I, I seem to remember that. Yeah. It, it, it's really ancillary to the point. Yeah, though. Yagi just looks right at this guy. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, come on. Like, I can't. I can't look past that. It just it, it my heart sank when it happened because it looked so sloppy and it's something that never happens in Dragon Gate. I mean, I look past so much referee nonsense because it's been established that this is just part of the style and I'm okay with it because it typically leads to greener pastures ahead. This was just one though where I I was expecting something a little bit more clever, something a little bit more well executed, but just the the powder throw with Yagi kind of looking at it, 
into the choke. I was like, oh man, that's really deflating. That's not the finish that I wanted from a match that up to that point felt like it had a ton of creativity and felt like it had a ton of thought put into it. I thought the finish was disappointing. So I mean, I'm still at three and three quarters, but there was a point where I was really invested in this match and the finish just happened to kill it for me. And to talk about it in another fashion, because like the finish was the was like the detract the like the point of detraction here. Like this was not going to be a work rate match. This was going to be a sleaze fest, and then Keisuke Okuda, as soon as things were kind of completely on the level, would just completely destroy Hio. Like they they went to that, and then he started cheating again. It actually I thought was a very smartly worked match. But this power spot, the way that these power spots have to happen is. You have to have one person hop up on the apron, distract the referee immediately, and the second person on the that's throwing the powder has to immediately throw it as the other as the victim is either face up or is about to duck behind. And this one was so slow, so of course Yagi caught it because it was just like it, whoever it was throwing the powder, if it was Kakuda or Kento, just got up there so late and was like waiting for a while. I'm just like, that's not how you should be doing this. And we, we've seen this move now done across the history of the promotion, and even before the promotion. There is a way to do this to make this look like it's a very like big reversal ending, and they slowed it down to basically it's a brutal film, as you said. Yeah, it was just a rare miss in a promotion that I, I typically... I'm either able to look past this stuff because, again, it's leading to something bigger and I understand it's part of the match structure, or it's just done well. And I don't really think this ticked either of those boxes, but it's a a big match for Hyo. I mean, he's someone that is five years into his career, and it's not like he has all that many singles matches, especially, you know, not dark match singles matches, not exhibitions, not squash matches where he's getting killed this was the biggest match of his career I think that's fair to say and for what this match was I think he delivered oh absolutely this is undoubtedly the biggest singles match of his career like he was in King Gate last year but everyone was in King Gate because it was the knockout style versus the smaller fields and round robin and you know I mean he's someone that like he's always going to be lagging behind Shun Skywalker and Pinky because of who he is and who they are but for him this is kind of, unless he gets, like, his Katoka, like, Brave Gate reign, this is kind of where he, this is kind of his peak. So, I thought that it was very smartly worked, and it worked to his strengths, and it, it, all the, uh, the other thing about the interference and the things did not make Okuda look like an idiot. It just was, this is my way to get through it, because each time Okuda had him in the clear without any shenanigans afoot, he r- destroyed him, it looked, like, very viciously, and it worked. No, that was the beauty of it, was that Okuda was protected at all of this, and I and I still think he comes across like a killer, even when he gets bogged down in some R.E.D. nonsense. I will I will make a slight correction. You know, Hyo wasn't open the Triangle Gate champion, which I completely forgot about, but it was him, Yoshida, and Diamante, and mm-hmm. they ended the Strong Machine reign, but they lost in their first match, in their first offense, and they lost to that bizarre snapshot and time team of Dragon Kid, Kenichiro Rai, and Ryo Saito. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I, I think this match was probably a bigger deal because it was a singles match, whereas his two Triangle Gate matches, the one where he won the belt and the one where he lost the belt, were both three-way, nine-man elimination matches. So, this was probably the biggest match of his career, and like I said, thought he delivered. Good for Hyo. Absolutely. And then the main event, 
the Triangle Gate match, uh, we talked about like a, a real of the time teams there. This goon squad of RED showed up, and the person that kind of took me aback, and I was like, all right, I was always kind of down on this character, but they worked in a way that they kept true to the character and still, I think, as the character gave their best performance was Die Inferno. I thought Die Inferno was tremendous in the uh, Triangle Gate match main event. I, I liked this match a lot more than you did, and I understand your critique to a sense that there was just very, very little, if any, chance that the RED side was going to win things, but... I was able to sort of shut that part out in my brain when watching this match and focus solely on the work. And I went four and a quarter on this. I I thought this was as good of a triangle gate match as I've seen in quite some time because it was everyone excelling at what they do best. And in particular, you know, KZ, who I kind of want to have an extended conversation about and just his place on the card. I thought he was incredible and then that R.E.D. side with Kakuta, Diamante, and Inferno, I, I thought they all brought something different to the table, and they all looked great in the process. And if you would have told me even six months ago, you know, when Inferno first came in, that he was going to be the anchor on a Triangle Gate, uh, a triangle gate team that also had Kakuta and Diamante, I would have gone like, oh, what, what went wrong? You know, how did we get here? But this goon squad was a really damn fun goon squad. Yeah, and, and it's something that I would say that, like, we've seen Kakuta really progress over his... Now he's coming up on his anniversary of his debut. Diamante is someone that has gone from being a almost hindrance in the ring to now being one of the more kind of exciting people that they have on the roster. And then Inferno didn't do any of the Inferno shtick in this and just wrestled like a killer and it's just something that for me and i said this in my review there was no doubt in the the finish and maybe that is what kind of brought it down because it usually doesn't but it was something that was very apparent there i was like oh we're having natural vibes main event because it's kz ginky horiguchi and susumi yokosuka and this is the red challenger team and that's kind of how i felt about it during the tournament too like whoever was going to face them had whoever was going to face natural vibes had zero shot of, of beating them in their first defense which is interesting because the Natural Vibes team is billed and booked as really, really strong title holders. I mean, this is not a hodgepodge Triangle Gate team that I often complain about. Keiji Yokosuka and Horiguchi is a top-line Triangle Gate team. If you could assemble any three guys on the roster, this is about as good of a team as you're going to build. But Keiji's place on the card is a little bit interesting to me because, again, booked very strong. Having a great match here, I went four and a quarter on it. And yet, KZ reminds me of where Ben K was at right after he lost the Dreamgate title and into 2020, which was kind of fractured by COVID and the and the time they took off. But you know, there was a point last year where Ben K was an open the Triangle Gate champion. It was him, Daya, and Strong Machine J. And in all of my reviews, I was going, "What are they doing with Ben K? He's..." he's better than this. He feels like even though he's a champion, he's lost in the shuffle. And that was perhaps unfair to Ben K at the time. But I, I also like, I feel that way about KZ right now where this natural vibe stuff, maybe it's just me. It's really clicking with me though. I really like this unit and I think I'm only going to like them more when Kamei is hopefully healthy sooner rather than later and is able to join them. Cause I do think he'll fit in perfectly with his new Taiji Ishimori ripoff look. 
and, and that's Taiji Ishimori Sailor Boy, not Bone Soldier Taiji Ishimori. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I'm in a weird spot where I feel like KZ is above this, <laughs> if that makes sense, which is a really strange complaint coming from mm-hmm. me, someone that always wants them to put a greater emphasis on the Triangle Gate titles. But I think, you know, man, Shun Skywalker is their Dreamgate champion. I really want a Skywalker KZ rematch, this time for the Dreamgate belt. But that's that's not what's going to happen as long as KZ is a Triangle Gate champion. It's just uh, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. And I don't know if, if you echo those thoughts, but for as good as he's been, for as good as this unit is, and for as strong of a champion as he is, I'm still kind of unsatisfied with the way he's being booked. You know who this kind of reminds me of? And this is something that just came to me, because I totally understand your thing. I mean, like, he is the mood maker. He has gone from being the perhaps the greatest lost post in the company's history to now being a certified star. And it's something that you wonder if it's, like, biding his time, because now he's had the keys stack up. I think he now has three keys now at this point but he reminds me a lot of Masato Yoshino and Monsters Express especially that Monster Express Triangle Gate team of Akira Tozawa T-Hawk and and Masato Yoshino they just kind of were champions like that was their position was their champions you're like Masato Yoshino is the most popular guy in this company right now like why are you having him in the same and then later he would have more title runs it just seems like that it just is I don't know if I want to say biting time or treading water, but it just kind of feels like it's like, okay, he is where he is. And when we are at the point where we're going to do this full effort push that he's going to have his run, that will happen. But for now, he's useful to have. It's great to have him as a champion and having these defenses because then he can do the go-home speech. Like, it, like I totally understand your thing there, but I just think it, it's – maybe it's just like a, he's in, like in a holding process until – whatever they decide to do with him down the road, or, like, this is the best position for him right now, like how Masato Yoshino was on that Monster Express team. I also don't think it helps that he's getting fed R.E.D. C-team teams, whereas... D-teams. D-teams, come on. I mean, he's... Come on. You know, he's not in there with SBK. He's not in there with Ishida. He's not in there with, you know, Kai, even, I think you can throw in there, and it's not like Ata... If Ata's in this match, if this Triangle Gate match is the Natural Vibes team against, let's say, Ata, Diamante, and Kakuta, and that's not a shot at Die Inferno, who I've I've been a big fan of since that character debuted, but if this is Ata and Inferno spot, I think this match comes across like a much bigger deal, but that's exactly it. The Yoshino comparison's great, where, yeah, he's a champion, but he doesn't have that upward mobility of the next great feud for him to sink his teeth into, and I don't see... Uh, unless a dragon die miraculously appears sooner uh, than he was intended to sooner than he was scheduled to given his recovery time. And you start running Casey Horiguchi Susumu against Daya Minora Lee all the time. Like that would be a hot feud, at least to me, I would be into that, but I don't see that happening. So I just get the feeling this team is going to be fed scraps until they eventually lose their belts. Yeah. But I mean, wasn't that kind of like what the Twin Gate was for a while, too? Very much so. So, like, I, I, I don't completely understand your concerns. I completely understand, like, KZ is someone that, I mean, he's 36. I think he turns 36 this year. 
So like there is a little bit of a clock with him, but it's not so much that I'm like, you have so much longer with this guy before you just have to take him out of the picture because how this company operates. Like, I think he'll be fine. It's just one of those things that stinks to say he's kind of going to be treading water and be fed scraps and do go home speeches and do the dance. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of where he is. Like, I fully expect that if there's not a triangle gate defense at Wakiyama, his next one will probably come in and across Fukuoka double shot and just kind of be there because it's going to be there. And I would imagine we get some three-way match at Dead or Alive, which, again, the team's delivering in the ring. I mean, it's Keiji, Horiguchi, and Susumu. They're not going to go wrong there. I just wish he had something a little bit greater to sink his teeth into. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, any other big thoughts before we move on to night two? No, let's move, let's do it. So night two of Champion Gate was on the 7th. It will be up on the network until the 14th. Huge jump in attendance, and we can get into why I think that they had this big jump in attendance in the main event. Uh, as I did before, I'm just going to run through the undercard first. Opener, uh, Masquerade versus kind of a natural vibes team as as Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and La Estrella face off against KZ, UT, and Don Fuji, who did the dance, got hurt, and then got really mad. Uh, UT lost to Minora with a gang. Uh, second match was uh, Trio's match. It was it was Bokudama Dragon, Rio Saito, and Ultimo Dragon versus RED team of Diamante, Hyo, and Daya Inferno. Diamante got the win again on Bokudama Dragon with a power bomb in 11 minutes and 38 seconds and made another challenge for his mask. Match three, Shuji Kondo, Gamma, Kagatora, and Yosuke San Maria. Uh, Gamma got the pin on Maria with an Axe Bomber in seven minutes. That's all we ever need to talk about that match. Match four was High End versus R.E.D. It was Yamato, Dragon Kid, Benke, Kesuke Kuda versus R.E.D. team of Eita, Kazuma Sakamoto, SB Kento, and Hip Hop Kakuda. This time it was Yamato with the Frank Steiner of the Almighty on SB Kento. Now, any other any takeaways you had on these matches before we get into the main event? Yeah, let's talk about one Don Fuji and well, genius. I, I mean, God, it's worth a Dragon Gate Network subscription. If for some reason you're listening to this and you're not subscribed. Oh, it's on YouTube. Oh my God, you're right. It's the free match. Well, shit, don't give Dragon Gate your money. Just go to YouTube and watch his ring entrance. It's, I mean, Mike, I was genuinely, genuinely laughing. It was one of the funniest things I've seen in the ring. And then the fact that he worked that into the match just proves the superior in-ring psychology that this promotion offers. Yeah, Jason Lee attacking the knee that was busted because Don Fuji, as we knew at the beginning of the year, he was not allowed in natural vibes because they would afraid he would injure his knee in the entrance. And guess what, Case? Less than two months later, they are proven right. And unfortunately, speaking of knee injuries, but this is probably the chance to talk about Shuji Kondo right now, what is his injury status, Mike? So, it seems that he tore his Achilles, and... That's a terrible, terrible injury to have. This is something that he tweeted out, and then Jay tweeted a translation of it. And I don't know when this happened, but it is a terrible injury, especially for a guy of his age. He said it is something that he he says that he, he will rest for a while, and then he regrets it. That's what Shuji Kondo said through a machine translation. And Achilles tears are no joke. Yeah, so if you look at Kondo's schedule over the past month, he works a, a tag match on a house show. It's Dragon Kid and Yamato against Don Fuji and Shuji Kondo. That is on February 6th, and then he does not work again 
until February 21st, despite the fact that Dragon Gate was obviously running shows in the interim there. Now, uh, that could just be he was taken off those shows because of, uh, you know, possible COVID precautions. Maybe that was just in his, his deal that he didn't work those shows. I don't know. All I know is that there was 15 days where he was on the promotion. I, I'm not necessarily alluding to the fact that that's the match he got hurt, though, because we saw in Kyoto two weeks ago that he worked a 15-minute singles match against Kagatora. So I don't know when this injury happened. What I do know is that Shuji Kondo is 43 years old. He's a guy that works uh, best using his speed and agility, and I don't see how we get a great Shuji Kondo match ever again. I mean, is that too harsh to say? It's not, you know, it's obviously not his fault, but I think a guy of his size, with his style, at his age, suffering this injury, we've seen the bulk of Shuji Kondo's career now. Yeah, it, it, it's something where, especially for his size and the Achilles, like, I have bad Achilles problems myself, and that's why I stopped playing soccer was because the repetitive strain destroyed my ankle. Whenever I do cardio, I can't. I don't usually run because I know that if I run for too long, my Achilles will mess up and I can't basically walk for three days. So for someone like Kondo, who his whole entire conceit is that he is a power fighter who has great sprints of energy, unless like he gets like some tremendous recovery, if he does, that would be amazing. I would love to see that. It's just hard to really kind of uh, put a lot of faith in that. So I, I get what you're saying. It, and it's something where it's a shame because he was so much fun coming back. But now it's very clear, like, how, why he was kind of cycled down and never really made a focus point, I feel like. And it's a bummer because I really thought he was doing fun and exciting work. Going back to the Mochizuki match in January of 2019 which was the beginning of the Toriyama 20th anniversary series. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh my God, we're getting Masaki Mochizuki versus Shuji Kondo. This is the best match they can possibly offer. Insert Ultimo Dragon showing up six months later. I was certainly surprised when that happened. But Kondo became a full-time player back in July of last year after the, the closure of Wrestle 1. He bounced back to Dragon Gate. He was supposed to be in King of Gate last year, but right. COVID, you know, canceled what King of Gate was supposed to be, and now he's getting hurt right before King of Gate again, which sucks because I think he and Yuti could have had a really, really fun King of Gate match, and it wouldn't have shocked me at all if that was in the cards to do. It's it's a bummer uh, because I thought he was a really fun addition to the roster. I thought he was adding a lot of life to shows, especially in the back half of 2020. And, you know, again, he can. I, I would love for him more than anything to prove me wrong and come back in a year and somehow be better than he's been, but I I just don't see that happening. And, and that's the thing about Achilles tears. It takes about a year, at least. Like, Rio Saito tore his Achilles and was out for about 11 months, and Rio Saito was in his 30s. And you look at his frame, and you look at Shuji Kondo's frame, that's, I'm, I'm not body shaming whatsoever. I love Shuji Kondo. I love his size. I love everything about him. That's a, a lot of work for a guy of his size. No, those are those are two men with drastically different body types. Right. So that's a big bummer. Like, it, there's just no way to say it. Like, that's a big bummer. And I mean, goes into like people are like, oh, all these injuries in Dragon Gate. No, like this is a Achilles tendon injuries aren't like things that happen because you're dangerous. That just happens because of strain and re- repetition and strain. Like, 
I believe. I, I, I mean, Texas educational system in all cases, but I feel like I have a decent understanding of my Achilles tendon and its problems, and it's it's strain. And, or it's something where, like, you come down hard once on your the, the balls of your foot, and you then you slam down your heel, and that tears your Achilles tendon. So who's out for an extended period of time right now? It's Daya. It's yeah. Takedo Kamei. Kamei is he's still he he's in rehab right now and I mean like he's he he's a while out but he's kind of he would be the next one I expect to come back though. Yeah, so it's so it's Daya Kamei, Strong Machine J, who we have not heard anything about. We I, at least I haven't. I, do you know anything about Kamei? Or I'm sorry uh, about Strong Machine J. No, no, I haven't heard anything uh, other than the fact that it's the same kind of thing that he's that he was dealing with when he was a rookie. And I hope that means that he will he he got surgery for it because that's an injury that as we've seen and we've seen with other wrestlers that like, you got to get that fixed if you want to continue wrestling. And then Sora Fujikawa, Masao Yoshino. Is there anyone else on the roster that I'm forgetting that is dealing with some sort of substantial injury? Well, Oji Shiba. Well, yeah, I mean that's <laughs> yeah, water is wet too, Mike. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I knew you were going to forget him, so I, I was prepared to go like, well, Ojishiba. But yeah, those are the big ones. And of course, Yoshino, I mean, he has his homecoming coming up in April, so he'll be back wrestling there. And I mean, he's showing up at shows and is doing angles and taking bumps. So it seems like that this is his way of kind of testing the waters. Uh, Daya had the surgery, I guess. So We, we were told we he was hurt at the end of December. We were told about six months. So we're about halfway there. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Kamei and Fujikawa, as I reported on the show two weeks ago, both rehabbing at different levels, but, you know, up and moving around. So we, you know, it's not to make this the Drangate, you know, rant about how their style is what it is. And now the point of that is just doing a, a recall because now you've got Kondo out as well. So you're you're missing roughly six to seven guys on the roster, which which is, you know, for a roster this small, it's a large chunk of people. And, yeah. you know, between Daya, Kamei, and Fujikawa, who are incredibly exciting, and Masato Yoshino, who's their biggest star, I, I think it also reflects why January and February were the way they were, because they were also missing Naruki Doi, which is, just you know, a huge part of their roster, obviously. And, and also, you look at uh, Natural Vibes and Masquerade, they both are at five members. You can do a lot with a five people unit but when you only have four that makes you that's why we have so many masquerade versus rd matches that's why we have natural vibes like bring in don fuji like like these are parts that like complicate how you book matches i mean that's why i expect high end is going to probably be getting members pretty fast and furious because you can't do much of four people in a unit especially with those four people who are all protected to some degree so right. i'm hoping by the end of the year that kamei and daya are healthy and that ut stays healthy because Quite honestly, I don't know if there's a more appealing match to me right now than a five versus five masquerade versus natural vibes match. You put that in the main event at Cork and Hall. I am throwing snowflakes at that bad boy. I I mean, I'm going to try to get my Fauci ouchie for that match. You know, that <laughs> like I'll get my Fauci ouchie. I'll go lick a floor and then get on a plane flight to either Narita or what the other or Haneda Airport so I can go watch that match. You know, my work told me about a month ago. They're like, well, Case, you know, you're considered to be a broadcaster because of your job. So when Chicago Phase 1B opens up, which should be by the end of March, we've got you covered. You'll be qualified to get in on that group. It's like, this is the greatest thing. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for working hard. 
got an email last week. Due to the announcement by Biden and Fauci that everyone who wants a vaccine will have one by May, you are being bumped back to the civilian line. <laughs> uh, you're just a pleb in this dreadful society we live in. And I was so disappointed because I, I would really like my vaccine. Yeah, I mean... I've almost thought about smoking a pack. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was but, trying to cheat with my with my BMI a few days ago. I was like, man, you give me a weekend, like I can qualify for that. I can get overweight real quick if you challenge me. But you know, I, I it's yeah. Illinois is such an absolute disaster with how they have rolled this stuff out. It is a really uh, beautiful reflection on Chicago government as a whole that they. It's like the vaccine caught them by surprise. Like, they didn't have a year to prep for this. They were like, oh, wait, what? what is this now? What are we doing? And it's, God, it's such a headache. It sucks so much. It, it, it's something where, actually, today, I found out about this thing called Dr. B that basically, and my brother was a beneficiary of this out in California, uh, where you sign up to a list, and because of the Pfizer Moderna uh, vaccines that when they take them out of storage they have to use them before they expire so they want to have everyone line up and take their shots what this does is i'm on a list now for my zip code that tells me okay there's extra vaccine that needs to be used and they ran out of people we will call you and you will get a text and you need to show up to this place within half an hour so there's that yeah i you know at this point i live alone i don't really see that many people but i would like to be able to see some people and go back out to restaurants and my parents my parents have theirs now which is like great i'm i can stop worrying about them but the selfish side of me is like man i would like to would like to be able to live my life again so we will see if that happens i i, I do think by may i'll be able to get it but you know i want it now it would be nice to go it's been so nice out here it was 65 degrees here today mike i would have liked to have lived a little more freely but unfortunately that was not a possibility you, you know what what i had a chance to do today which made my week because it's it's 70s now like the mountains it's spring in the mountains right now i am thriving but it's i went out and you know i'm you know i'm a patio guy i have a nice screened in patio it's where I like to spend my my spring and fall evenings if I'm not recording or watching something. Brother, you don't need God. to tell me you're a patio guy. You exude that energy. I I got out the power washer and I started cleaning that that bad boy because I'm ready for spring. I am ready because because I thrive in that. And if my NBA Top Shot cards <laughs> pay off the way I hope they will, <laughs> I will be having Spears Produce in the upstate backyard, and there will be patio seating available. Uh, speaking of you cashing in on NBA Top Shot. You know, I was going to the grocery store today and I looked at my bank account and I looked at my savings and I was like, oh, what is this? Uh, some money has been added to this savings account out of nowhere. I know I didn't do this. And it was it was a substantial figure, Mike. I was so excited. I started thinking about it. I looked at where it came from. I was like, huh, okay. I texted my mom. I was like, hey, did you, did you put some money in my savings? Thinking like maybe... I hit the jackpot on tax refunds this year. Maybe she came into some money I didn't know about and was just paying it back somehow. But I'm thinking, like, I'm going to get a new pair of shoes. I'm going to buy some speakers. Like, I finally have the money I needed to make some of these uh, not essential purchases. She texts me back. She's like, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. Let me take that out right now. And oh, oh my God. God, I was devastated. <laughs> like it, it just took all of the wind out of my sails. Because again, I I was 
in my head starting to spend this money because I got this. I, I got a pair of New Balances right now where I've just walked so much of them. I they don't have a hole in them yet, but they're about to have a hole in them, and I can afford this sixty five dollars to go buy a new pair of New Balances. But I don't I don't like doing that. I don't like spending money on anything. But I was like, oh, this little boost again, like. I could buy some quality speakers, a pair of tennis shoes, and still have some stuff left over. And that is not the reality that we're living in, unfortunately. I mean, I, I wear Vans now because I have to watch where I'm stepping in the yard. So I understand you know, the that's, New Balance I, I, life. Thank you for saying that. Uh, Chicago residents, please clean up after your dog. It is a problem on these streets in uptown Chicago. And I fucking hate it because as Mike and I have talked about and, and look, you know, Pudge is good with me for now, but I am prone to not liking pets in the first place. I just don't vibe with them. I don't want to be around them, but the amount of uh, what I will call stuff laying in the streets of Chicago right now is completely unacceptable. And I'm not blaming Cubs fan. I'm not blaming Rich Krejci. I'm not blaming Chris Sampsa. I'm just saying these are people I know in the Chicago area, and I know at least two of them own dogs. So let's be careful and be mindful going forward, okay? We live in a society. We live in a society, Mike Spears. We live in a society where Takashi Yoshida is an Open the Twin Gate champion. That's right. As the semi-main event of night two was the Open the Twin Gate championship match, BB Hulk and Kai fall in their fourth defense, and the buddy cop tag team will... They will be doing their ride-alongs, and they'll be doing their circuits now with some gold as Misaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida won the Twin Gates. They're the 51st champion team when Yoshida hit BB Hulk with a pineapple bomber. This was a huge win. This was really, really well done because I I wasn't entirely sold on this Takashi Yoshida babyface turn, partially just out of fear that he was going to turn on Mochizuki in this match or before this match or, you know, he could still, if he turns on him in April, I'm not going to be surprised. It's the unfortunate part of Takashi Yoshida's career. But I do think these two came across and the crowd reacted as such because this, these, this match had a vocal reaction to it as well. The Mochizuki Yoshida thing is really over. And if Yoshida works matches like this as almost this wounded bear type figure where you know, yes, he's bigger than everybody, but he's more sensitive than everybody, too. I think there's some legs to this, and I don't know how the unit shakeout is going to go. I don't know where they're going to end up, but I think this was a big win, of course, literally, but just in the character development of Yoshida and this team with Mochizuki, I came away really impressed by this match. Yeah, and the thing that got me, and I think this is the thing about this weekend, is that all these matches are completely were laid out so well. Like, the opening of this match was Hulk Kai basically capitalizing on the fact that they are an established tag team. They've been champions now for a while. And the Buddy Cops, they kind of, you know, they're still getting their act together in a way, and they're capitalizing on the mistakes. And from there, I mean, Takashi Yoshida, the time for me to be enthusiastic about Takashi Yoshida was like 14 years ago. But I... He, there's something about him. There's this charm. There's this crowd connection, and he's like, you, you, you had a good phrase, turn of phrase there. He's a sensitive bear, and you, you want him to like succeed. And you, and, and during like the 
the Royal Sambos where he gets eliminated and he's just laughing and having the best time. It's hard not to like this babyface Takashi Yoshida and Misaki Mochizuki and him. They've started to get together some really fun offense like these Senkaku Gary to the face combination with the Cyberbomb that's like, all right, this is actually really kind of a lot of fun. And, you know, I went four stars on this. I can't remember the last time I was this high on a Takashi Yoshida match. And it just, like, everything came together. Maybe it was the crowd being so into it that gave it a little bit of a bump in this day and age. But it was a great time. And, you know, this this allows Hulk to do his own thing. And it does seem like that Kai with Yamato, that will go on there. Uh, there was a very kind of mysterious tweet that came out after the show's case. If we want to talk about Ada's tweet now or later. Oh, please bring it up now because I don't know if I've seen Ada's tweet. All right, so he tweeted this after the uh, Champion Gate weekend, and let me see if I could pull this up here. It is two days ago, and I'm going to be using machine translation, so I apologize if it's not exact here, but it's a photo of the RED logo on it, and it says, Hyo Ishida Inferno SBK in Kakuta. I'll still back them up, crush them. Interesting. So that leaves out who? Hulk and Kai? And is there anybody else? Diamante. Diamante. Now that is an interesting wrinkle that Diamante has left off of that list. Yeah, I have no no feel for the R.E.D. Oh, and Kazma. Kazma. Interesting. That's, Kazma and Diamante are two guys that I, I had always pictured as kind of Ada Ryder dies and wherever he goes, they'd go as well. And Hulk. Did we mention Hulk in that list? Yeah, Hulk and Kai I got. Yeah. Very interesting. I I don't know if I have a response to that. I guess I, I do have a question that could pertain to that, which is going forward with Mochizuki and Yoshida, and, and for reference, I went three and a half on this match. Uh, although, you know, Mike going four stars in a Takashi-Yoshida match, especially one where he's not the ninth man in a fun nine-man triangle game <laughs> match, but he was the focal point of a twin game match is incredibly impressive. But where do Mochizuki and Yoshida go from here? Do you have any inclination inclination as to who could be their next challengers? Uh, I mean, Bensuke, I always wonder what they're going to be doing the Bensuke run, but with Okuda being Bravegate champion, they don't do double champions in this company, so that's not going to happen. Minoli could happen, but that's a lot of title challenges for that team after dropping it and kind of just Jason Lee being a lost post at this point. I don't know. It's an RED, I guess. No, they can't because Kento is, is tied up with the Apuestas match, unless they want to do it beforehand. It's an interesting situation. I wonder, and this is just me wondering, I don't have any inclination one way or another. I wonder if they want to try to do one last speed muscle twin gate match before it's over. That would be very interesting because that would be putting two super babyface teams together. I mean, that would just be, it would be like a fan appreciation match in a way. I, I could see that. I would like that. I, I don't have an answer to it. That's why I want to ask you, because I do think the Menor and Lee match is a safe bet. And I think you could get away with doing something like that on a dead or alive show or you know, I don't think it's going to happen in Wakayama, but it, it also wouldn't shock me if it did. It, it's It feels like, especially with the Yamato and Kai being tied up elsewhere, it does feel like we are finally entering that new era of the Twin Gate division, which we briefly had with Minoru and Lee at the end of last year. 
but really we're looking at a two, two and a half year run of the Twin Gate being dominated by Yamato, Kai, and BB Hulk in some combination. And this really feels new and it feels fresh. But with that, especially given the injuries and natural vibes in Masquerade, which make them four people units, and the fact that Okuda has the Brave Gate title, I have no feel for what's coming next. Yeah, it's just hard to get a read on it. And especially with with Wakiyama, and they only have two shows until Wakiyama, you'd you'd have to have something come together real quick. Yeah, no, I I don't expect a Twin Gate match there. I think we'll get, you know, the Shun Skywalker Cosmo main event. We'll probably get a, a nine-man Triangle Gate match, natural vibes against, you know, it'd be fun if they did Minora, Lee, and Estrella, and then an RED team of whoever. I think that'd be a very fun match, and I think those will probably be the top two matches on the Wakiyama show. No, I, I'm totally with you on that. That That makes... A lot of sense there. Uh, do you have any other thoughts before we get into the main event? I do not. I was, like I said, delightfully surprised with how this match was, and I was thrilled with how the main event came across. That's right. This was the Open the Dreamgate Championship match. Shun Skywalker versus Kaido Ishida. Shun Skywalker, as y'all would have known by listening to this show, retains with an SSW in 29 minutes and 33 seconds, getting his second successful defense against the Osaka native. I feel like this is the longest Dreamgate match in years. Like, I'm not certain. I'm not going to look it up right now. But I don't remember the last time they... Like, 25 minutes has been kind of like the... Uh, like, how long they were willing to go pretty much since uh, Pack came back. I can't remember of a match hitting 30 or coming close to 30 in recent memory. It certainly felt like the longest one in a while. And, and I don't have the exact numbers, but I would imagine this is not only the longest match of Kaito Ishida's career, but it's it's probably the longest match of Shun Skywalker's career as well. And, you know, these are two guys, I talked about this in depth in my review, but they're two guys that have been known for their flashes of brilliance. Now, I, w- I will mention right now, the, the Eita versus Doi match did go 31 minutes. Uh, so this was okay. this was roughly the same time as that. And, you know, before that, against a lot of 22, 24, 25-minute matches. These are two guys, though, that have been known for their quick burst of speed and intensity. And for them to go out there and put forth a compelling from start to finish match like this, I, I knew the match would be great. I had no doubt that this would end up being four stars or higher. I am shocked at just how good this match was, especially given the fact that they worked a more traditional, almost Shima-era-style Open the Dreamgate Championship match, where the first half of it was very slow and very deliberate, and then the second half felt like the culmination of stuff we've been screaming about for two years now, this shift in house style, this shift to a more almost bantamweight style of wrestling that I first picked up on, Two years ago, the rookie ranking tournament, and I went on Alan Forel shows on on Pro Wrestling Torch, and I said, man, something is changing about this company. These new guys are working a different style, and they're really starting to hone it and feel it out, and just, it's going to be something. And I feel like this is the match where it became something, where they took the tradition and the legacy of the Open the Dreamgate title and what Dreamgate typically does, and they put a modern, unique spin on it. And because of that, we got what has been what I, I have not seen a negative review of this match. It has been universal praise that I've seen. Yeah, and the thing that I think, and I'd mentioned this about attendance, 
did you notice that there were fan signs for Kaido Ishida in the front row? Like, this was such a... The match was spectacular. Like, I went four and a half on it. I totally understand four and three quarters. When you get to this point, you're really just kind of parsing grains to decide what rating you go with that. But you're absolutely right about this. But the idea of having Shun Skywalker, who's doing okay as champion. I, I, I'll, give him, I'll, I'll give him a strong okay as champion so far. And you put him up against a hometown guy that... Remember how over he was at Gate of Destiny 2019 when he won the Brave Gate title. Like this is a this is a guy that his hometown rallies behind and he was getting crowd calls before the match even started. So it just like was just like a fantastic piece of work and you know, the guys went for it. I mean the blaster on the apron to the floor was disgusting. One of the loudest apron kicks from Ishida as well. And then I mean you, you have this fact that over the last month, the one thing that was always happening was Shun Skywalker would get his knee or ankle detailed by Kaido Ishida during their matches. And that built up to this match and that built up to a thing where, you know, it's difficult if you have a mask like Shun Skywalker to really emote in selling when you only have your mouth really available. But I felt like that Shun Skywalker was tremendous selling his knee and his ankle throughout this entire match. I've always liked what Shun has done in that department. I think, you know, at times he's been a fun, spotty wrestler, but he's always been engaging. I've always been able to buy into him a little bit, and I've always found him to be a charismatic wrestler, and I think I thought that really shined through. I mean, the turning point for him is when he worked the All Japan Junior Tag League with Mochizuki, and you saw those two roll into the All Japan Junior Division, and it was an, oh shit, these guys are better than everyone here, and that was... You know, that was the consensus that weekend. That's not just the Drangate guy and me talking. Anybody that watched those All Japan shows knew the Mochizuki and Skywalker matches were going to be far and away the best things on those shows. And that gave him a level of confidence, I think, that he has carried with him two and a half years later, almost three years later. And I thought this was a fully complete performance by him. Had the finish of the Ben K match been different, had it gone, let's say, according to plan, I think we would have come into this match with very different emotions because I think that match would have shown that, hey, Skywalker is capable of being a credible Dreamgate champion, of working the style of doing it successfully. But, you know, it could have been Masao and Kobashi in the ring, and if the finish happened the way it did, the talk was not going to be about how great that match was. It was going to be, oh my god, I hope Ben K is okay, which is exactly what happened. So, we hit a spot now where we're four months into this reign, and Skywalker had still somehow come across as unproven, which you watch this match and you realize that's ridiculous. Like, this guy is really in the upper echelon of wrestlers in this world, and Kaito Ishida, it was a credibility issue with him, yes, that, you know, he wasn't going to join the Yamato, Eita, um, you know, Jushin Thunder Liger, to name drop their group of guys that won the Dreamgate, uh, the, the Dreamgate in their first Dreamgate challenge. But the overness has not been an issue with him. And you heard his supporters here. You saw his supporters here. And I thought they just went out there and had one of the most compelling matches of the entire year. It is, I would, I would, well, I don't know if I like this more than Tanahashi versus Shingo, because I, I do think that match was just on another level of pure insanity. But it's at the, you know, at at worst, one of the three best matches I've seen this year. And I thought it was the best match of a weekend that had Moxley versus Omega, which um, I loved 
until I didn't, which I think is a universal statement there. And mm-hmm. and I was higher on this this past weekend Shingo versus Okada match than most people because I was at uh, four and three quarters on that as well. But I thought this Ishida versus Shun match was slightly better. And just to go into the nuance of the rating a little bit, it was something that after the finish happened, I had given it four and a half stars. And then I sat down to write the review and I started thinking about this match and just how compelling it was, despite the fact that I knew the finish going in, which I really, under normal circumstances, make an honest effort to avoid. If for some reason I'm not watching a big show live, I really do what I can to to stay spoiler-free if I have to review the show. I just, I just It just didn't happen this time. I just had to be on my phone for whatever reason, and I saw the result. I was like, okay, that's not surprising. I didn't really think the result was, was in doubt all that much. But watching this match, seeing it, Ashita lock in that ankle lock and Shun's first move is not to crawl to the ropes but to grab referee Nakagawa as almost like a plea for help it was incredible and it's such like smart things that he did so he did that there was an evade he made of a German suplex where he would normally backflip out but then he he played up his ankle and knee buckled right afterwards that I thought that the crowd kind of like had a gasp that I was like, all right, this is something special. And really, other than the Twin Gate match that I know I'm a little bit higher on earlier this year, I think the only match I like more than this is Omega versus Phoenix so far this year. Yeah, which like, would be in my is... top five. I, I think that's one of the five best matches in 2021. Yeah, yeah. And of course, in AEW, I'm more liberal of stars than I am in Dragon Gate. I I, I, I have a rep to maintain in Dragon Gate. You know, like I, the other people may have broken their scale for other companies. I don't with Dragon Gate. So I, I totally understand the four and three quarters thing. It is something that I think that this is a match that, you know, there's enough here that they could build on. And in front of a full crowd, I mean, who knows what these two guys could do? Like that, like that's a thing I really looking forward to. The the one thing that you said that I wanted to address with like Shun's Tile Rain, um, I I remember saying this after Final Gate. I completely loved that match with uh, Binkei, even though the finish was what it was. Like that did not really deter my opinion of that match. A lot of my issues with Shun has been the things I've been saying from the start, and you know there wasn't really anything for him to have like this big rallying cry, great go home promo when Kazma came out and afterwards he was like well thank you all for coming and now I will skywalk and then that was it yeah which you've been way ahead of the curve of, of anybody else in the west that covers Dragon Gate of saying hey Masquerade's cool as shit but this is going to be an issue going forward they don't have anybody that can talk and we've seen that come to fruition there were two things in this match that I will I will beef up that I really liked uh, both coming in the finishing stretch Shun Skywalker countering the tiger suplex with a headbutt that was a gross headbutt a fucking disgusting headbutt i lost my mind for that it ruled so much the finish where skywalker goes for the ssw and ashita counters it into a schoolboy which i've never seen anyone do before skywalker kicks out Ashita misses the roundhouse kick right into the SSW for the win. Just a textbook, picture-perfect finishing stretch. It was exactly, exactly what it should have been. Such a tremendous match. Such a complete performance from both guys. And and go ahead with what, what you were saying. 
Oh, it's just going to double up on the SSW schoolboy. That's the first time no one, ha anyone has gotten out of the move after he started it. Like, it's not been kicked out of, and no one has gotten out of the SSW before. So that's something just to file in everyone's file cabinet in their brain. Like, that, that, that that's a sign, I feel like. Because usually when people have, like, these murderous finishers, like, they'll have, like, the stretch, but then as soon as someone finds the little weakness there, that's when the finisher... And usually the power run comes to a conclusion soon after. Kaito Ishida Mike, we saw him fall in his first Dreamgate challenge in his career. Is Kaito Ishida going to become an Open the Dreamgate champion? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I agree. I, I, I completely agree. And I think this was this was the credibility that he needed. And, you know, parachuting it without context just assuming going forward next time he's in a Dreamgate match, I'm going to believe there's a chance he could win it. And that is exactly what this match was supposed to accomplish. And I think it did just that. It elevated Shun in the eyes of me and hopefully the native fans. And it reassured me that when we were ranting and raving last May about how Ashida needed to be the face of the heel unit, the face of the heel unit, that is confusing in wrestling speak, but how he needed to be the heel leader, uh, this once again reaffirmed that stance as well. Yeah, he put, his, he, he put his flag down for being a number one here. Like, if there was any doubt in people's mind, watch this match, and you'll know that Kaido Ishida can be not just a guy, but a capital G guy. I completely agree. Like I said, it is my match of the year as of now, with the exception of Tanahashi Shingo. I would have some, just to give context as to how highly I think of this match, uh, Tanahashi versus Shingo... Ishida versus Skywalker, Shingo versus Okada, and then some hodgepodge of either Omega versus Moxley, Omega versus Phoenix, or Kazusada Higuchi and Yukio Sakaguchi versus Konosuke Takashida and Mao from the February 23rd DDT show. Those have been the best matches I've seen this year, and with the exception of Tanahashi versus Shingo, Skywalker versus Ishida was better than every one of those. Yeah, the, this is a match that's going to hold up towards the end of the year. I think that's for certain. Any other big thoughts about the show before we start wrapping things up? No, no. A really good weekend, a great weekend for Dragon Gate really made me excited going forward. And, and like we talked about at the start of the show, we have Memorial Gate to look forward to, a big main event on the April Corkin, and the May 5th Dead or Alive main event. So there's a lot of things to be excited about going forward. Yeah, so... The next show that's going to be up on the network and we'll talk about next week is their monthly stop in Kyoto. It is on Saturday at 6 o'clock Japanese Standard Time. We don't have a card as of yet for that. And then the only other TV that they have between now and Wakayama is they return to Sambo Hall on the 19th. So maybe we'll have a card for that next Tuesday. I doubt it, though. And then that's it because Memorial Gate in Wakayama is a nice Three o'clock start Japanese Standard Time. Three o'clock case. That that's midnight for you. That's tremendous. I mean, I I wake up super early for my job now, so I haven't been watching these shows live. But a Saturday morning, Saturday morning midnight start time for Shun, Shun Skywalker versus Kazuma Sakamoto. That doesn't sound too bad, Mike. That doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's how things are shaping up for the remainder of the month in Dragon Gate. For Open the Voice Gate, if you've been following along, next Monday it will be a big show for us. 
It's episode 50 of Rewind and Rewatch. It is the final show of Dragon Gate USA. It is Mercury Rising 2014. And, you know, after that, we have some aftermath. We have other things that we're trying to, that, that we've thrown around that we haven't committed to. But if, if you aren't a regular listener to the Rewind and Rewatch series, the next few weeks will be definitely be something up your alley, especially for someone that just likes Case and I just talking about random topics like in two weeks that's going to be pretty much what we'll be doing i feel like for this aftermath show yeah so this is this is probably the best time to talk about this and we'll mention it again next week and and the week after but if for some reason you're listening to the show and you haven't checked out the drangit usa rewind and rewatch series i would encourage you to it's 80 plus hours at this point of evergreen (laughs) content where from 2009 to 2014 Mike and I are not only reviewing the Dragon Gate USA shows, but we're taking you through the entire landscape of wrestling in Japan and America at that point. I can say this with one episode to go. I'm super psyched with the way this series has turned out. I have loved the people that have followed along with us. Uh, we get we get great feedback on those episodes every week. So we've got one more to go. Mercury Rising 2014 with Teddy Hart, Loki versus Johnny Gargano. Uh, and just a whole other bunch of shitty stuff on that show. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, and and then, you know, we'll put a bow on the series and we'll do a recap episode that I'm I'm really looking forward to that will, uh, for me, be the essential sort of history of Drangit USA because, you know, the promotion ended with such a whimper that in the moment, nobody was able to recap it. Because it was, you know, it just it just ended, it, it vanished. Whereas at least with Evolve, and I talk a lot on that show about, you know, how between writing the history of Evolve article when Evolve was announced that it was sold and doing the Strangate USA show, I've consumed a sickening amount of Gabe Sapolsky content in my lifetime, in my very young lifetime. A lot of it has revolved around Gabe, but no one has touched Strangate USA. It's it's been on an island and. Mike and I had a chance at the start of COVID last year to really break into this on the sheer notion. It's why we started going weekly was I just never had had the time in my schedule to do the weekly shows. And luckily, you know, now it's kind of built into where I know, okay, you know, I have to work around this now instead of trying to find time for it. And because of that, we were able to do this Drangate USA series that I'm very, very happy with. And like, like we said, next Monday, will be the Mercury Rising 2014 review, which is the final show in history. And then the week after, we will do what will be the essential history of Dragon Gate USA podcast, just, you know, kind of taking you through beginning to end our best 10 matches. Uh, It's a promotion that has so many ebbs and flows in different eras that we're going to really be sure to highlight all of those. So if you've ever wondered about the promotion, if you ever had any interest, if you were once a fan that fell off, I can't recommend that audio to you enough. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get this on a thumb drive after it's all said and done. I'm going to submit to the Library of Congress, and then I'm going to, <laughs> and then I'm going to find out like the next time that that dork Elon Musk is sending someone up in space. I'm going to see if I can get this thing like put on the moon, you know, just because if no one was going to do it, it was going to be us. It had to be us. Like I do take a little bit of ownership of that in that fashion. But yeah, so th- that that was Dragon Gate's schedule, and that was our schedule, and a little bit of shilling for what's coming up ahead. But Case, you have anything else you would hit on before we get out of here? No, I am on both Twitter. I guess I'm not not going to plug my Instagram. That's a different show. That's my that's my other podcast where I plug my Instagram. No, I am on Twitter at underscore in your case. Mike is on Twitter at Fuji Heya with two eyes like Don Fuji. 
If you want to get in touch with us or the show, at OpenVoiceGate on Twitter for all of your Dragon Gate digital needs. Yep, that will do it. So for Case, I'm Mike. Thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next Wednesday. Take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc